Greetings and welcome to Broken Boxes Podcast. Long Con is a series of conversations between director Sterling Hardrow and artist Chinupahanska Luger about life, art, film, history, and everything in between, informally shared from the lens of two contemporary Native American artists and friends actively participating in the record of the 21st century. This episode is the fifth conversation between Harjo and Luger on Broken Boxes, and the artists dive right in, chatting about conspiracy theories, aliens, artificial intelligence, indigenous ceramic practices, the current state of the film industry, and the writer's strike, how creating sanctuary for producing big ideas is important, and how everyone's creative process is different, so it's about finding what your groove is. They also speak about fatherhood, the importance of storytelling, and of course the final season of Reservation Dogs, season 3, which premieres August 2nd, just days after this episode airs. Sterling shares why he decided to complete the series after three seasons, and reflects on his adventures of being a showrunner for a production that has changed the face of television for Indigenous people, and how making this work has, in turn, changed him. I'm excited to see what comes next for our dear friend Sterling. Broken Boxes will continue to produce these long conversations between the two artists. And also, we are so excited for Sterling's podcast, The Cuts, to activate again. Please go listen to his podcast archive if you have not yet. I can't hear myself oh, in these really? headphones, but I can hear him really Why good. Why can't you hear yourself? I can hear myself internally, but not through the, uh, the audio. Sounds like I got a stuffy nose, which I may. No, it doesn't sound mm. like that to me. Oh, he said I sound good. Okay. This is shambles. I thought y'all had this figured out. You want to take them off then? And um, then you won't be able to hear him. Yeah, I'll just rock it like this. Okay, you're good? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You can't hear me? I can hear you just fine. I just can't but hear you myself. You can hear me without your headphones on too. I, I, Hold on. We were considering without the headphones, but... Uh, I have a lav microphone, so it doesn't look as cool as your mic. So the headphones kind of like compensate, you I know? I pronounce it love, but whatever. <laughs> to each his own. That's because you're from Oklahoma. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Gotta hold your vowels. <laughs> I can hear me. Okay. You can hear you. Uh, I can hear me inside of myself. Weird. <laughs> that might stunt your interview or your talk. Well. <clears throat> okay. I prefer the way I sound internally than how I do in recording. Right. So, right. I'm like, God, I sound so tinny. I thought I had a resonant bass. Tinny, huh? Okay, good luck. Love you guys. Thanks. It's oh, right. this guy's got a cigar in a fucking cedar background. I'm in somebody else's library. Where are Grab you me at? a cigar, baby. Where are you at? Montana. I'm oh. at the Archie Bray Foundation, Center for Ceramic Arts. Nice. What was the, there a was a photo that I saw where you were by a fire. Were you always oh, in the kiln or what? No. We're, um, we put in motion a project here about three years ago. And um, it's every year it's like closer and closer to fruition. But yeah. we wanted Archie Bray, um, this like international clay center to um, 
rather than talk about their commitment to indigenous people, actually build a facility here that celebrates pit firing as oh, a way sweet. to invite people from around the globe, really, um, that have pit firing practices in yeah. their, in their skill sets. So this season, um, this summer, we invited, um, so it's Raven Half Moon and myself, we kind of put this thing in motion. And um, we invited this uh, Dene Potter, uh, uh, Jared So, uh, Cherokee Potter from North Carolina named Tara McCoy, a Haudenosaunee Potter from up, upstate New York region, and Anita Fields is hmm. here. And um, we're, her, all, we're all just kind her of I like. I said hello. Also, did you just forget my number? I mean, why didn't you bring me up? <clears throat> It's I, ongoing. I'm dude. not making it's a ongoing. show anymore. I'm fucking. I'm a fucking. I'm a. Are you, I'm, I'm a potter now. Are you done? Are you? Are you now back into the pottery? I am, back into, gunslinging artist like you. That's so funny. You're like always somewhere doing some crazy, project. It's awesome because it's like I know, it's what I want to do and what I kind of do sometimes. It's, Especially when I was just kind of independent filmmaking, I was just like, "What adventure?" I mean, you know, I filmed you and fucking Europe. That's how we know. met. Yeah, yeah. No, that's I, how I, we. I met you before. Oh, I met you at the. Oh, when we met was at the um, Indian market when we were doing an I, "I'm an Indian Too" video. That's right. Yeah. And my little brother tried to fight your little brother or big brother. I think we've <laughs> talked about this in every long con that we yeah. have, but we should still talk about it every time. Um, well, I think. If you really want to know the story, go back. Go back into the Long Kong catalog and uh, catch up. Right. Because we're starting We're starting, we're starting hot. fresh. We're starting we, got, yeah. we got hot takes, as they say. And the hot take right now is your show, final season, yeah. is about to drop in just a few days. It's so hot that, it's, that I stopped pit firing to right. come up here right. and talk to you because I was like, I need something hotter. Yeah, you get the hot if, news. <laughs> like fire, <laughs> that can only get so hot. By the way, <laughs> the show coming out would be hot news, except there was a congressional hearing today about aliens and UFOs. That is oh. the hot news. I mean... That is... And they dropped that shit like two years ago, right before the pandemic or in the middle of right. its like, like the spicy moment right. of the pandemic. And it was like, oh yeah, also we're working like, with it's aliens. Like, it's like, while you're down, let me hit you with this. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, okay. Um, let's dive into that. Yeah. I think that there is, uh, uh, there's definitely segues and connections between the congressional hearing on um, uh, life outside of our solar system and uh, the final season of yeah. Reservation Dogs. Well, what's funny is when you see the final season of Reservation Dogs, you're going to be like, damn, I was right. <laughs> I, I, I brought I brought natives from all the corners of of Turtle Island to this place in Montana. We've got Northeast, we got Southeast, we got Midwest, we got Southwest. We talked about aliens. We talked about Bigfoot. We talked about all of those sorts of things. So I think when we when we come together, the stories open up. You know, it's an like uh, interesting thing in the world, right? It's like 
I don't understand what people talk about if they don't talk <laughs> about Bigfoot and aliens. Like, like that's literally most of my conversations with anyone <laughs> close to me. It gets into aliens. It gets into Bigfoot, the Anunnaki. Like, I mean, I will, oh, I will dive deep. Wow, you just brought up the Anunnaki, yeah. dude. 10,000 year fucking planetary cycle. The ancestors, bro. The ancestors. So what's up with their uh, compulsion for gold? That's my question. I mean, isn't it crazy that literally Biden signed something about like being open to putting reflectors in our atmosphere to help with climate change? And that's allegedly what the Anunnaki came here to source gold because that's what they used in their atmosphere because it was depleted. Yeah, I know. It's the coincidences are too close to be coincidences. I'll tell you what, what it does for me, I, you go through life thinking, I love a good conspiracy theory, but life is boring and normal. And you know, and you get these reminders that it's not. Well, this is the ultimate, like, whoa, shit's been hidden and going on for how many years? Since, like, the 1930s at, that we know of? Yeah. And it, it's just kind of like, pff, like, what else is there, you know? Like, what else is there that we don't know about? Yeah, that, like, okay. some white guys That's- in some office somewhere are going, like... We can't let them know this one. <laughs> you know, like I watched Oppenheimer, uh, the movie Oppenheimer, the other day, which I thought was great. And, I went uh, to Barbie instead. Yeah, I know it was one or the other. And um, I'm, I'm just kidding. Oh, I didn't, didn't see either. Okay. Keep going. Well, I saw Oppenheimer, but it was like the thing that was so fascinating was you're like looking back on this history, not not to mention all the native Hispanic people that were affected by these tests in New Mexico but also the Japanese people that they bombed. And it's literally just old white men in offices sitting around a table, smoking cigars, going, should we do this? Like, I think we, we need to hurry. You know, it's like, it's like ah, the Russians are also, the Germans are building something too. We need to hurry. You know, it's like, what? Like, that's really what it was. Like, it was, uh, yeah, it was a bunch of old white dudes deciding uh, uh, that this was a race to figure out how to annihilate all of the brown people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of like what fuels it all. It's like, they're, they're, they're good at hiding it now. It's like, the brown people are there and we need to get Okay, so to, to, to segue this into another chain and channel of conspiracy, I just saw the scariest thing presented on my social media feed uh, as a relatively benign thing. But when I, was, when I was looking at it, I was like, I can see how this gets perverted, you know? And what it was, was, and this is the conspiracy hole that we can also spiral down, is a AI-driven tractor that burns weeds rather than uh, putting pesticides on fields. So it's, it's a big laser array with this AI that decides what's crop and what's weed. And it vaporizes the weed, wow. right? 
That's real. That was made. That's real. That's made. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, they're like, dude, we're no all foods organic now. Like, so look you at hope what we can you do. hope that that's what it's used for. But history tells us that yes. <laughs> that they're gonna use it to again annihilate some people. You know, I'm like, like who who's weeds? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who's crop and who's weeds? Right. Because I'm watching this take place on the field and it looked like genocide to me. You know, I was like, I, I mean, don't know if I'm primed for it or what, but this looks like genocide. I think anybody that knows anything about history, the first thing they think of is like, oh, it can, it can decipher weeds and kill them. So you're saying it can decipher the enemy and kill them like that. Yep. You know, like yep. what? Yep. Yep. Yeah. No matter what, I feel like I'll be on the enemy side. You know, like I don't think I'm ever going to be on the, the, the side of like the ones with the AI. You know, like I'm definitely going to be running yeah. from some. Oh, well, I shaved my head so that I could tattoo a white guy's face on oh, the top of yeah, my yeah, head in yeah. case that laser right. thing comes zapping down. I just look like a white guy from above. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah, it's like, oh, not him. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. Just. Pull right. your arms in. <laughs> right. Man, you're really in an old library. You look like you're in Oppenheimer's library. Like you're like Los Alamos's like well, library. This catalog thing really goes a long way with the like post-it notes describing what's on these like blocks of information. Yeah. There's like more book stuff down this way, but Isn't it's it crazy that that's what like the information that like that's how it used to be kept kept? Like and what's crazy is that's actually the better way than how we keep information now. And it <coughs> and it lasts longer and is much more sustainable. But like looking at it, it's just like pfft. Who puts things on notes and in <laughs> dusty binders and on a shelf? And like who goes and reads that, you know? Yeah, it, that's, the, that's the interesting thing, is that almost like every time I come up here during the day, there's somebody in that's here. That's what I was going to say. You know? Do you see people like opening them up? And Oh, yeah. I just crack the door every once in a while and just yell nerd in the <laughs> yeah, room. Yeah. <laughs> Nerds! Uh, have you ever cracked open one of those books? Uh, I haven't, but I don't know how to read, so yeah. that's, uh, that's a factor. Right. I like the pictures. The pictures yeah. are nice. Yeah. What are they um, about? What are the books about in general? Just anything? It's a it's a center for clay. So these are all like clay reference books, catalogs from yeah. exhibitions, the history, different things like that. We did pull two books from this library while we were getting interviewed. Raven Half Moon grabbed them on her way down. Uh, one was called uh, Primitive Firing Techniques, mm. and the other one was called Wild Clay. So and it was actually really helpful for you. Yeah, primarily because as we're developing this program, we have to like develop a lexicon because I'm like the language that like American craft history talks about native people is the same language that colonization talks about native people. So like if you're pit firing, it's not like pit firing, it's primitive firing techniques, you know? And I'm like, motherfucker, your kiln is a fire. And when the aliens do take over, what will we, what will we be using? We will be using pit fires. And then it I, will not be I, primitive. Every, everyone else will. But they'll, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, 
I'm from Sky World, dude. That's yeah. a that's a homecoming. I really, I mean, I, know, I love how optimistic we are about natives. I remember like <laughs> the pandemic started, and we were like, I I talked to you on the phone. And you're like, yeah, I actually think we're immune, like to like we can't, <laughs> you know, which like which wasn't the case, obviously. But like at first, you're like, I don't know any natives that have that have caught it, you know. And then like here we are, like, oh yeah, the star people are gonna like we're, we're gonna be okay. <laughs> They're like, I don't recognize you, bro. <laughs> They're going to be like, are you the ones that have been praying to us all the time? Like, our phone lines are so busy because you guys are yeah. praying all the time and, like, you know, and sweat and stuff. Like, they're going to be like, wow, you guys are just... Totally. You, yeah. you, you sent it up in smoke. Mm. Like... Yeah. 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 <laughs> There's um, fucking all of these radio waves bouncing all over the place with bullshit, but just fuck, smokes, dude, it, just it, it, yeah, yeah, the smoke, yeah, <laughs> digital smoke, baby. <laughs> um, so you're in Montana. You are doing some clay work, primitive <laughs> firing of clay. Um, yeah, I am currently in the country uh, at my little spot where my offices are. Wait, is this your your home spot? It's not my your house. Secret? It's my but your my your getaway. land. Yeah, is it yeah. your where your land yes. is? Yes, yes. Where I have deer outside and stuff. It's pretty awesome. What I want to do for this place, what I really want to do, which uh, you would be top of the list, but like I want to start a sort of like think tank collective. Mm. kind of like we did for illuminative and its beginnings you know when we did that it was such a cool inspiring thing because it was people from all different fields and yep. all of us just sitting on couches talking for hours like it was amazing Dude. but i want to do that here i want to build a place where people where, where i could bring artists and like just hand pick people to come every year and talk you know and just hang you'll yeah. be like a gatekeeper of course I'll tell them, I'll, I'll only pick my good friends. No, I think I would curate it depending on the year, depending on like what, you know, just what would interest me. It's just kind of like a, a way to like hang with friends and people that I'm interested in. And like, cause I mean like, you, you know, through the years of being a filmmaker, an independent filmmaker, I remember being in so many conversations uh, in panels and closed door panels and closed door table round tables, like just like what, like, and the whole conversation was always, what do we do to break mm -hmm. into the mainstream? Like, how do we get more native films out there? How do we like, how do we do this? They're not trying to fund our work. Like, what do we do? And, um, I was just a part of those conversations from such a young age. Cause there weren't a lot of filmmakers here. And I just remember hours and hours of talking and like, like trying to figure this thing out. Uh, it got frustrating sometimes, to be honest. Um, and I don't want to recreate that, but mm. there was a lot of good that came out of those conversations too. And well, and the the bar has been pushed from right. those conversations. Well, one of the right? things that I was going to say is like, I I the first time I did a I did a whole cast read through of the first couple of episodes in the first season and it was pretty wild to look at this zoom and literally 
everyone in native film and media and these like giants who carried us across the goal line on their backs, like right. are all on this zoom and everyone's just, it was a moment of like the Brady bunch, you know, and everyone's like looking at the different squares and like everyone was just kind of frozen at first and just like in awe of like, wow. Like it was honestly emotional. And like, people were saying like, I've always dreamed of this. Uh. Like we're about to make this major show and all, look at everyone involved. It's nothing but native faces, this whole, and all of these people that have been doing it for years or just starting or whatever. Uh, it was pretty beautiful. Just like, and which that feeling like continued as we made it. And then we made the second season and it continued into the third season, probably even more so. And there's so many like spoilers that I can't give away in the third season, but it's, but that idea of all of those faces on the zoom it literally comes to life uh, in the third season, you know? And there's, uh, some, there's some moments where I was sitting there behind the monitor, behind the camera, looking at what we were capturing and looking at the people in a single frame and just going like, holy shit, like, look at all of those legends in that one frame. Like, wow. like it's unbelievable, you know? And it's like, you have to like really tell yourself to like appreciate that because it's so easy just to be caught in the moment and say, Oh, we're just making a show. Mm. But if you really think about it, we would talk about this and it's just like, Whoa, like look at that image. Like right. that has never been done. Like all that that's going on in there has never been done. And that is just pretty amazing to watch that happen. You just sort of like sit back and all of a sudden you're a fan of these people and what's happening. You know, it's really cool. Wow, that yeah, that's got to be out of control. I, the whole from the writers' room to the uh, uh, crew working on the on the film to I'm imagining sitting in the editing chair and all of that stuff. It's like uh, um, a like dream, kind of a dream fulfilled fulfillment kind of narrative. Um, especially through like an indigenous lens, I could also see like the, the starstruck awe because how many times, like how many, how few of us there are represented in film that they become our legends right. for like everybody, yeah, you know? Everyone. Yeah. It's le that's the <laughs> they, thing is like you have they've to played every tribe, right? <laughs> they've been dead. They've been a representation yeah. of all the people. I love, uh. You know, the 1491s, we were going to, we'd talk to Casey and Richard about this because they would tell us, like, Casey's like, I've died as like five different tribes, you know? And then she's like, I've also like been all of these tribes, but she's never played Ponca before, you know? Yeah. Like, right. um, and, and uh, Richard, <laughs> Richard, you know, was telling me about his experiences as well. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, you look up sometimes at the horizon at one of those shots where it's a silhouette and there's a man on a couple guys on a horse. And that one's me. You know, like he's like, I've done that so much. You know? <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, we the 1491s, we were going to do a video one time and it was like a native acting school. <laughs> it was, we were going to have Casey teaching all these women like how to like 
properly be dead in front of a TP, like how to lay, oh, and then like uh, Richard was gonna like show him how to properly hold a gun on top of a horse and like all of this stuff, you know, like how to get work in Hollywood, you know, like that's the only gig you're getting, you know, how, um, how to throw the proper silhouette, right? Exactly. Where you can... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is how you look like the end of the trail on the horse, you know, you better. Uh. Um, so like. Yeah, I mean, change, the things have changed, and it's really cool to like, you know, like be able to be a part of something that is happening in real time. You know, it's like I'm watching it happen in real time, and then, you know, I get asked a lot about the decision to make this the final season, and I think, you know, a lot of times I get like, ah, oh, they had to like pressure you to do that, right? Like there was something, and it wasn't. It was. Um, like as we were writing it, like I kind of knew where I wanted it to end, but mm -hmm. I didn't know what season that would happen. But as we were writing this one, it was like I felt it. Like I felt that we were coming to the end. Um, and there was one way that I was going to not end it, but it would be doing something pretty drastic that I don't think any TV network would want to do, um, mm. which I can explain later. But like... Um, other than that, it was the end. Like it, it like it, it, it was either, it was going to be the end no matter what. If I kept going, it would have had to been something different and new. Right. Um, right. Because I feel like we were like a part of these characters' lives in a really transitional period. It's after the loss of their friend, and it's a coming of age. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing about coming of age stories is they come of age, you know, <laughs> like totally they do come of age. And if you keep going after that, it feels sometimes like you could be dragging your feet and just kind of slogging through it. And for me, this show is too important for Hollywood, a network, even an audience to say like, ah, this is kind of dragon like you should you should have ended it last season you know or whatever like I, I it's too for me it's too much of an important thing for that to happen well, the other way that um tv has changed in the you know since reservation dogs has been uh uh on the air is the streaming platforms right so right. like with three seasons you can move through that at any point in time right you know and like we know native people have been watching it right. you know as it's as it's being released as it's coming out but now it's open for like i mean a lot of people have been watching it right but that like well there's going to be new audiences know. discover it too you know like well that's what i'm right. saying like old tv you had to be like you had to be there on yeah, thursday yeah. and watch the shit you know and like be there at the same time right and that that's just radically different now right. you know um you can uh, 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 what is that called when you watch a lot of things binge you can binge you can binge seasons you know totally so it's and i just it's didn't nice want to have an arc that yeah. goes from here to there and not left on like you know loose ends or, or something right. along. And those I mean, lines. some of my favorite shows are three seasons. I mean, like The English Office, two seasons in a in an hour special. You know, um, I think Fleabag was two seasons. Um, Deadwood was a few seasons, um, and it might have been three seasons. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think like more shows should end. <laughs> uh, well, I think that's smart because what you're left is hungry, 
you know yeah rather than satiated right you know? if you're if you're full of it then there's no driving uh there's no no way to like move that kinetic energy right so like developing all of that and part of the beauty of the show is that we don't spell everything out for you in their in their lives we drop in to moments of their life you get to fill in all the blanks that we don't present you and i think totally. that that's the same for the end it's like if we ending it now provides an audience participation in what happens after you know hmm. and that's not to say i won't try to do a spin-off or try to like intersect worlds and bring res dogs world into something else that i'm doing but like i don't know it was like i've said this before it was like i'd rather drop the mic than get the mic cord cut by someone you know <laughs> and kicked totally. off stage you know hear that hear that music right, playing in the background right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but you know it was bittersweet i mean like even, well hold on yeah speaking of hearing that music playing in the background what's up with like in industry uh uh accolades like, oh are, yeah yeah you have any, any, isn't that any, crazy i mean i think like Probably like the only show in history to be named as the best show by every major publication and then not even get nominated for an Emmy. I mean, like, it's wild. Like, racism. I mean, like, they just don't know what to do with a weird show like this, right? It's like, it, it's, it's not just that it's native. It's also that it's kind of told in a unique way. And it's not strictly a comedy. comedy. It's not strictly a drama. Um... And I just don't think, I don't think they're ready to decide that it, if it needs an, an Emmy or not. You know, it's like, this is too much. Like, let's just keep, like, let's just go for these other ones, you know? Like, it's sort Do of Do you think the categorical uh, uh, mentality that these things have had, had something to do know. with their... I don't know. I don't know. I honestly don't know. Like, like, I never thought we'd win an Emmy. I never thought that. I thought it would be a nice gesture for us to get nominated. I did think, like, well... You know, I feel like we deserve that recognition at least just because of how critically acclaimed and, you know, and how audiences love the show. Um, I thought like at least a little nod, you know, um, but it didn't happen. And like, I, I wasn't super surprised. Like I told a couple of people the day before, I was like, we're definitely not going to, we're not going to get nominated. Like I, I feel it. Um, it's a little baffling i think that like it's just a unique show in the way that like there's not a main character there's not a couple of main characters it's literally like a show about a community and yeah. i don't think people are used to that you know especially emmy voters you know let me ask you this on a logistic note do you have to go to the emmys regardless no like were you at the emmys no 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 i have to i, I we went the first year because we got asked to uh present and so that's when we went to the Emmys. So to dispel all myths out there, if you get asked to present at the Emmys, it doesn't mean you'll get nominated the next year or the year after. <laughs> Just to put that out there. We were uh, free labor going up and presenting an award to somebody else. I don't know, man. Y'all might be outliers. So that that yeah. could be an outlier scenario. Right. But like... I always said this, like for me, the award is the show. Like I can't believe that I got to make it. And you know, it's like, I know that it's going to stand the test of time. Like I, like it's the way it's told. It's just like a story that our uncle would tell or our auntie would tell. 
Um, yeah, and like Pow Wow Highway. Right. I mean, it's <laughs> it's canon. <laughs> right. It's there now. You know, like there's not much we could do to fuck that up. Um, knock, right. on, knock on wood. But um, you know the. First reviews are in, starting to trickle in for the first four episodes, and they have all been really good. Um, huh. Yeah, definitely. Like, wait, where do they see them? They get early copies to review. Yeah, so the press gets early copies, and then they get embargoed. They can't release anything until a certain date. Today was that date, so some articles have come out, and they'll keep coming out up until the premiere. Huh. Um, they get the first four episodes, and it's pretty great to talk to. The journal, like I like, the, through, with the strike and everything, I can't do a lot of interviews. But if it if I get a request through my management team and like I can do something then, so I've done like two. But it's funny just to hear the feedback because it's like, and then the ones that I didn't talk to, like you could hear the feedback of like, um, I mean, like episode three really hits people in the mouth, you know, like. Mm. Uh, it goes dark. Say less, dude. Say less. Yeah. And uh, I'm excited, though. <laughs> I'm excited for like people to see that because no one knows what's coming. And yeah, it's a cool episode. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I kind of like, I think that like if, I, if this was a career, like if I could have this job, I'd be pretty good at this job, which is making playlists hmm. or organizing songs on a new album for a musician like if i if that was just one job i feel like i could do that pretty well so like it's, it's a lot of fun sort of like figuring out how the season unfolds and what we leave out and what we leave in um i don't know there's something pretty exciting about that making sure well i got to i got to uh chop it up with mato um yeah recently so he's awesome man like such a great talented dude like um, you know, I, I hired him to do the music because I'd seen his music videos. Like he was making music on SoundCloud and whatever and doing these kind of like, almost like 1491's kind of funny, um, mm -hmm. like, like homemade music videos and really embracing that rugged yeah. sort of homemade nature of, of, of not having any money. And I was like, that is the energy that I need for the music. And just to see how much he's grown over the three seasons, man, like this season, he's like a veteran, you know, he's just like coming in, like, this is what this needs. And then maybe some string, you know, like all of a sudden, like everything's been elevated, you know, it's crazy. You know, that's interesting. I, when, when you said third season, I was like, that's ringing something in my head. What is it? And, and just now I recognized what it was and, um, with gardening, like the third year on a field is usually a great yield. You know, it's like everything has figured out where, where it is, you know, everything gets dialed in. The nutrients are at the right levels for a plant to like grow through. Um, you've, you've created infrastructure, a stratification of like time and, uh, uh, pressure and irrigation all this sort of stuff and i'm like oh that's got to be the same kind of story with a team of people working right like cultivated the the soil now the now now the plant can grow yeah it's funny i mean like i definitely feel that's the truth especially like in production and everything and the actors are like so dialed in the writers are dialed in but that's not to say that i mean season three was difficult like we were in the writer's room just like some days just like 
I, uh, I, no one knew what to do. You know, just like days of just this. And it was the hardest season to write because I think that I knew more about where season two was going. This season, I knew the beginnings of this season, but then like the way it shapes and goes towards the end, actually like, no. Everything was very different. I knew kind of what was gonna happen, but there were some big ideas that we had. And by big, I just mean like major storylines that got totally crushed and taken out, like mm. really close to production. Um, mm. And then in production, there were about three nights of me just like uh, writing in my living room with a laptop on my lap, um, writing until like writing a whole whole episode till three a.m. and sending it in, trying to wake up as early as I can the next day get to go to set, but telling all the other writers and producers like I'm gonna be late, you know. And it was like there was one in particular, um, an episode that like it just kept feeling like super earnest and like. The show, I don't like that, you know, when the show gets yeah. earnest. Like, I, I try to stay away from that. And we always try to approach things from a different place. And so this episode was feeling particularly earnest because some of the things that were needing to happen were very earnest. Um, and the trick was, like, how do we tell that story without being earnest? And I went through so many versions in, in our heads. Like, like and this is while we're shooting. And so I'm talking to Tazba, I'm talking to Megazi about like ideas and we're throwing out ideas together. And then that night I went home and I was just writing one of the ideas that we had, but I just knew it wasn't right as I was writing and I was just like, oh, this doesn't feel right. So I stopped and I just kept like, oh man, I was like reaching for just creator, just freaking put it in my hand. Like, cause I know that it's out here and I know I grab it and pull it in. I, it doesn't come from here. I grab something and I pull it in and then I present it, you know, like that's how it happens. And I was like, where is it? You know, like I couldn't find it and it wasn't there. It was like, did I spend all my ideas? Are they gone now? Like, is it gone? And then at about 1231 AM, I had this idea and I was like, it was probably like midnight and I was like, yeah, that's it. And I, I, I wish I could just tell you what it was, but like, I, it's, a it's a specific genre of, mm. of film. And so I put on a movie that was just in the background noise that was that energy. It was that genre and that energy. And I just like fucking wrote this episode that night and finished it and sent it in. And it was great. It turned out cool and it's going to be a fun episode. But like... Oh, it was so painful. I mean, it was such a painful process of like, just uh, like this ball's in motion. There are people, there are boots on the ground filming this show. We don't have an episode. Like yeah. we got a cast, like some of the casts got to be available and we're flying people in and like, like what do I, you know, like it was just so much pressure of like, oh, I got to get this done, you know, and it's got to be good. Like it can't be just like this shitty episode in the middle of a bunch of good good episodes you know it was nerve-wracking yeah but we, we made but if it. you want to if you want to cook beans it's better under pressure man it's true that that timeline you know it's true having that some having of, that heat some of my best dinner parties i've ever had were pressure you know like no idea what i'm gonna cook and you just make it happen totally totally and i there i don't know if it's 
Like my mom is the same way I am. And I'm always like, you got to take it easy. Like, why, why are you struggle so much? You know, why do you wait till the last minute to produce something and all of this sort of stuff? And I say it out loud to her, but I'm really just talking to me, you know? <laughs> I'm the same way. I mean, writing is a really weird thing. And I don't think that there's any book that can tell you how to do it. I don't think that... I think that you can learn to be a better writer, which I have. I think you can learn to uh, write sort of like with parameters that someone else gives you. But that idea, like the initial idea coming to that that's good is really really weird and like sort of magical in a way and and in the writer's room we all know when we hit it like it's just like yes like oh god sometimes i'll even like close the session that day just because we came up with such a good idea like let's figure this rest of it out tomorrow like let's end on a good note you know yeah um it's uh you know and i i think that like i don't know like i I feel like I'm learning as a writer as I go. Like I'm getting better and better. Um, and and I and there was a period in my life when I would have writer's block and like be just fucking not years not trying to write one idea or whatever. But I don't have that anymore because I sort of had to become this like workhorse for this show, and mm-hmm. there was deadlines and there was no no one's waiting years for me. And so totally. I had to turn these around and like the, the, the space of not knowing what to fuck to do to knowing what to do has shrunk and I can, I can get there faster now. So that's all. <laughs> I don't know how, how do you put that in a book? You know, like maybe I can do a TikTok, but yeah, you're like, there will always be a gap, <laughs> right? It gets narrower, right, right, but right, right. <laughs> there's always a gap, right? What about you? Yeah. Like whenever you make something, when's the last time you painted? Do you ever paint? Dude, I did a whole painting show last December. So, I did. And it was like eight years since I painted anything. Um, so it's not I your went, preferred method? No, I mean, it wasn't my preferred method. I, it's, it was still there, you know? But um, what I ended up painting was like kind of unlike anything I used to paint before. It was like I was still like sculpting, but on a two-dimensional form. I painted a bunch of teepee skins. Right. So, so I opened them up and painted on them, um, and presented them flat because I was like, I'm a sculptor. I right. don't do paintings, you know. And I was like, oh, if I paint a teepee skin, that's a sculpt. That's a three-dimensional object, and I'm just going to present it 2D, you know. So, like with but your stuff, I- though, like with your stuff, is there's probably not a lot of what I'm talking about, which is like digging in it, and trying to find the idea. Does that it, come more when you're making it or does it, do you really plan it out before? No, I don't, I don't plan. I hardly plan anything. The material tells me it's like half of what I'm doing is the material, you know? So I'm, I'm, I, I get to work from that. And I think the advantage that I have in my practice that I know other artists maybe don't have the same advantage is that I work in so many different mediums. So like if I'm dragging in one medium, rather than like sitting in a place of, I don't know what to do, you just shift. And now you're like, all right, well, I'll just pick up something so else. So you have entirely. a lot of stuff going on at one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and it, it, the psychological impact of um, not feeling like you got it anymore 
you know, is, is not as heavy on my shoulders, I think, because of it. Because I, I used to write, I used to write poetry, dude. Like, give it, me a poem, give a, me a poem right now. <clears throat> What's that? Give me a poem right now. <sighs> All right, but it's, it's like, um, <laughs> when I wrote poetry, it was like the 1990s yeah, fucking yeah. Sl- slam poetry right. era, Oh, no, right? yeah. Oh, you remember them, so, so you had to memorize them. Oh yeah, I, I preferred a, a I, I didn't like the written word. I liked the oral right. word, you know. Right. Um, and I'm like I'm pa- I'm pausing for time to see if I can if I can stir up the dust motes in my brain right. to to find I was, one. Like I look at some of my old notebooks, <clears throat> and man, uh, some of the shit I was writing, like I was definitely reading ripping off the beats. I'm <clears throat> uh-huh. like. Like Allen Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac, and like everything was like, oh yeah, you know the decaying, I mean, the decaying city, and like, oh yeah, like oh I got it, I got okay. it. <laughs> I love that that gave it to you. Yeah, yeah. It has been too long. A pawn in a game overplayed. I stayed up through the dawn. A night without a day. I loomed in the ter- in the shadows of doom. The pitiless city. Visions of the tomb I was living in soon I would change the rooms of the space around me. That popped into my head because you said decayed city. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Oh, 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 here we go. Uh, I stand emaciated on America's apple pie, screaming that the dream is not good enough. I play too rough and the cuffs won't fit around my imagination. Nations crumble as I close my eyes, a mouthful of zeros, a time bomb in disguise. Wow. <laughs> I, I know the name of your poetry book. Um, Chinupa. Sculpting sculpting with words. <laughs> 3D. So words. did you do this in like cafes and stuff and like it was, competitions? It was like, yeah, I did it in competitions and it was like in bars. And like depending on where you got in the uh, the lineup like was dependent it, it, there was heavy voting that took place to see who would win these competitions and um there was like a narrow window where it was like not early people had drinks but weren't yet drunk you know and if you were in that that narrow window between not drunk and totally drunk you usually win it and right. that's what i was I, I got tired of it i was like i see I see the window, you know, and I'm like, and then, and then slam poetry just started sounding the exact same over and over and over, you know, and I'm like, the words don't matter. That actually sounded like, that actually sounded like slam poetry right there. Slam poetry. Oh, okay. Got it. Over (laughs) and over. (laughs) Totally. You were there. You went to a couple of slam poet I saw, poems. I saw a couple. Um, my writing was more... I don't know, like... Well, let me, let me just yeah. interject and say that writing's hard. Yeah. Like, there's only so many words, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, like, you start mixing them around, and then you find out that you actually, like, like certain words... And then you're like, fuck, I used that word so much in the last year that makes you really second guess your own kind of like, for me, I was like, I'm not, I'm not that bright. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm like, I used up all my 10 cent words. Whenever you were doing that, did you think I'm going to do this the rest of my life? 
do everything I do. I'm like, I'm gonna do this the rest of my life. <laughs> like fixing fence. I'm like, fuck, I'm gonna do this the rest of my life. I'm, I, 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 I think that um, as you're saying, like this, this repetition thing, you know, and narrowing that gap of, uh, I have no idea what I'm doing, and this is what I'm doing, and the and the closure of that of that gap, it builds confidence, right? And like, so how much of um, block is just the decay of confidence? And I think as your um, I don't know, fucking ego or whatever you want to call it, is bolstered enough that your like self-confidence can bridge the the gap. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. <laughs> Where did this go? Hold on. What is it? It's a marijuana dispenser. Oh. <laughs> it just shoots out half a joint. Yeah. <laughs> They're like not too much. It's AI. Just enough. AI. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're on a Zoom right now. We will distribute this much right. weed. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, what do you Ooh, think? Okay, go let's ahead. go AI. I want to go yeah. AI for a second because we are in... I was just having a conversation with um, one of the artists here about um, uh, AI writing, rewriting one of the Star Wars movies. You know, like like diving into fan fiction, diving into the back catalog of Star Wars and rewriting it from that from that standpoint. And and we started talking about the threat that AI uh like everybody was like, well robots are gonna take over your job, yada yada yada. And there was always like this buffer for artists, you know, or creatives in general, where it's like, can't do my job. Right. Can't do my job. And then And then all of a sudden you hear Hank Williams singing like in 50 cent song, you know, <sighs> exactly, exactly. So that now you're like, okay, fuck, you kind of can do my job. But I would, the thing that I was thinking about in relationship to that is what AI is really good at is mashing up two already existing things, right? Right. Like bringing in uh, back catalog and kind of mash, making mashups right. of them. Um, it seems like it's generating something new. But it's really just mashing two old ideas. But I mean, is this the early days of the internet? <laughs> you know, where people are going to look back in 10 years and be like, wow, remember when people used to sing songs? Like, that's crazy, right? Like, like AI <laughs> does it all now, you know? Like, you remember when, like, I used to sculpt? Like, what? Like, we just bring a machine in and, you know? I mean, like, just think of that. Like, because artists will use, you know, workers to make their art. You know, uh, and what, you know, what's to say like, okay, I'll just plug it into my, my software here and mm -hmm. I'm going to have a 3d object that is my art. What, who's to say that's not my art, you know? Yeah. 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 But I think, I think one of the things that's interesting about it is for as ruthless as artists are as thieves and, uh, 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 hacks, you know? There is a unspoken code. Uh, maybe it's a it's an internal recognition that you're biting. You know right. what I'm saying? Even whether you know it or not, right. like uh, there's there's something kind of internal that reminds us we're biting. You know, in in one way or another, like inspired by or you know all of these terms that we use to um, to kind of like 
internally justify the theft we're, we're, we generate, you know? And that's, that's fucking culture. Like, that's... Yeah, I mean, there's... The, like, AI's never going to be able to create reservation dogs. Like, it's never going to be able to create something you created. There's, like, there's the... There's a... It's a gap. Another gap. And I think that you have to feel and be human to bridge that gap. There's always something that's going to be off. And I think that like contrary wise, you change human beings to accept <laughs> ah. bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, and, that's a whole new I, thing. and I'm like, I think we're kind of moving towards that too. Like it feels that way. I mean like Ryan Redcorn right now would, if, if all of his nutrients could be in pill form, he'd do that. Like, <laughs> I've never seen someone that hated food so much. Like, like, you know, like, we, you know, like, we travel, right? Like, we would travel for the 1491s. And, and like, Bobby and I, and then, like, Migazi, I mean, like, Migazi and uh, Dallas will eat anything, you know? And, like, also really fancy things. And they can enjoy something really good. But also, like, if you just threw, like, some Velveeta cheese and some breakfast Make sausage and some, some sort of weird tortilla, they would, they would tear it up. You know, Dallas one time, we were all swimming when we were making season three. And uh, Dallas goes into my kitchen and is banging around in there. <laughs> and he found some like like blue corn made some like blue corn mush and like <laughs> like like put some things that i had in there pine nuts and i don't know and some some maple syrup uh, all this stuff i had a bunch of stuff in there and we and I'm like, all I, and all I, I didn't even know i had half of the things that he put in there <laughs> and he's just banging around in there didn't ask by the way just banging around and all of a sudden he brought us all dishes you know um anyway though ryan so Bobby and I become like ultimate foodies on the road. Like we, like everywhere we would travel, we would map out what restaurants we're hitting, where we're going. Because at a certain point, it's like you're on the road, you're away from folks, and it's like you're on the road, you're away from folks, and it's like what else are you going to do? Yeah, well, yeah, let's find some like really good food, you know. And Ryan could care less. Like, Ryan's was like, what? He'd get mad at us. Like, what? You're going to go to a restaurant? Like, we got work to do. Like, dude, we can work and, like, eat a good meal. Like, we don't, like, I'll just go to a convenience store and get, get some, like, cheese sticks and some sausage and I'll be all right. You know, it's like, what are you talking about? Like, so he would totally, and, like, you know, like, if there's soup on the menu, Ryan's eating soup. And he's not just eating soup. He eats it, like like someone that hadn't had soup or like maybe someone that's out in the cold and you handed them soup and like they're kind of beat down and it's like how they would eat the soup that's kind of <laughs> how like he uses two hands and just drinks it you know um, no spoon yeah so if you were to give him a pill and say okay all of your nutrients every day you take one pill a day he would be he would do it just because it could maximize whatever else he's got to do you know he's building a home right now so it would maximize him 
being able to tile his bathroom floor or whatever, you know, and like his brain works like that. And I'm just like, you know, like, so I could see like someone like Ryan going like, you know what? I don't want to have to work for music like the like just tell me what's good <laughs> send it to me and i'll i'll i'll, I'll listen to it yeah i, I don't even have i don't want to have to ask just pipe it in right pipe it when it's music time pipe it in right when one, it's of, one of the first time, times i hung out one of the first times i hung out with ryan redcorn we were on a road trip this is this is the trip where the 1491s were born we were showing my movie barking water we were driving i keep hearing I'm like way out in the woods, you know. I don't know. Ooh, Chichi, Chichi's um, out there. Yeah, I don't know what that is, but I don't want to know. Um, <laughs> and what was I saying? Forget about it, dude. I was talking about you were on the road with Ryan. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we were on the road together, and it was one of those things. Uh, you know that movie, uh, Tommy Boy. Behind you, dude. Shut the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I will get freaked out. <laughs> Um, and, um, just like see someone looking at me in the window right here. Um, we were on the road though and he, he had it on some like random playlist. I think it was like whatever that app was back in the day. But, um, Ani DeFranco came on and it was one of those sayings where like, you know, it's like, I'm cool with it if you are. Yeah, totally. Whatever. Kind of lame. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. You can leave it on though. And then like five minutes later, you cut to us like singing, you know, um, <laughs> literally what we were doing. We knew all the lyrics to this Ani DeFranco song. <laughs> and then we figured out that we both knew multiple Ani DeFranco songs. And so it's like me and Ryan singing to the top of our lungs to Ani DeFranco on all these songs that we knew. And we, I, we both had like ex-girlfriends that introduced us to her music uh, and like knew so much of her catalog and it was just a <laughs> you know it was a bonding moment between us <laughs> that is so funny i can't think of one off the top of my head but i can guarantee you if one popped up i could totally sing along yeah, yeah. um that was interesting though that feeling wow. that trip tying back in this notion of can AI do it? Would we would we sacrifice this creativity or this? Um, and, that, and that's what I was kind of diving into was that I don't think AI yet has the capacity to generate a new idea. I think what it can do is mash up two previously old ideas, and I think humans still have the capacity to imagine things that don't exist. You know, like this doesn't exist. Yeah, I can so imagine it's kind of what I was saying being. too. Yeah, like they can take something that's already been created and move some things around, but they can't come up with something new. But I mean, like it is early. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what do you, I, I it is early, but I, I want to, I want, I'm trying to like arc in your industry and your fellows striking right now. Right. And I'm watching this like AI stuff develop all of this other things. And I'm like, is that what the production houses are like stalling for? I, is this sort of shit? I think, that without the strike left to their own devices, you would definitely start seeing some AI written stuff. And that's insane. And that's just about the dollar, you know? Like what, we don't have to pay these writers at all. Like we don't have to hire any writers. Like, yeah, give me that script. And I think that like they're aiming for that technology to get better and generate original ideas 
and you could easily be happening. I mean, like, well, let's dive conspiracy, right? Okay, so we're priming each other right now through media to accept and receive variations of the same old bullshit, right? Which is like perfect for AI, you right. know? We're talking about Oppenheimer. We're talking about Barbie. Amazing films. Right. Like, I'm sure they did incredible stuff with it. But these are already conceived ideas. Like, you're, you're you know, filling in the gaps in between, one, the historical record, or two, the, like, imagined universe that every uh, child playing with Barbies developed. And their back catalog of canon, you know, I'm like, I'm like I can see how media and the direction that we're like consuming media is moving us towards being able to receive the same old bullshit, you know, versus like how difficult it is to create something that has not been imagined, you know, and then put that through the mechanisms like we were talking about with the Emmys. How do you how do you how do you categorize this, you know? Like categories are great for pre-existing things cuz it's already there, right, you know? Right. So where do you think we're headed, though? Like, we're in this weird... I, I mean, maybe everyone always thinks we're in a weird time throughout life. I mean, like, you know... I think being, when, a, being alive is a weird time. Yeah, like, when the, when the <laughs> Europeans came over, it had to be really fucking weird, you know? Like, like what is happening? Right, but I, I promise, like, three years before then, the motherfuckers were like, oh, this is a weird time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's something in the air. I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so given that, there's a congressional hearing about UFOs. AI, writers are striking. Part of that strike is about AI. Um, AI is in every industry now. Um, there are definitely some robots out there that can do way more than I'm comfortable with. Um, like, where are we headed? Like, is it catastrophe like is it or do we as humans hit these plateaus and then figure it out and then i i'm like i'm i'm like as far as ai goes i'm like i can't wait for the singularity like until they start thinking for themselves they are not quite yet intelligent they are being pushed by our agendas and that scares the shit out of me right you know i'm like i know what people do people do fucked up shit and, and not everybody, but as like a whole kind of system, looking at the historical record, you know, watching, you know, all of this sort of stuff. I'm like, ah, I want, I want, I'd rather have a fucking robot's hand on the button than one of us. But you know? in general, do you feel optimistic? Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do. You always um, do. I do always, I, I tend to see the brighter side, but I think it's because I'm also, I, I'm also like cynical you know? Um, and so there's a weird optic, you know, optimistic, cynical hybrid thing. I don't know if there's a word for it. There's not. Um, Chinupa. But I, I Chinupa my way through shit. (laughs) (laughs) Feeling very Chinupa this morning. Uh, yeah. Are you, are you inspired by anything right now? What's that? Are you inspired by anything right now? Music or? TV or anything in particular? I don't know. I have a we. I have a. I've just been having this conversation with Ginger and some of the the other artists that are in this this thing, and inspiration pops up quite a bit. And I can never distill it down to a thing. 
it's always like some sort of atmosphere, you know? Um, well, what I'm learning about myself and it can be hard, I think, for everyone around me, but I tend to like, even when I was writing and I didn't have an office, I would move from coffee shop to coffee shop to home to coffee shop to coffee shop to home to write. And sometimes I would go to one and go, ah, oh, this ain't it. And then I'd move to another one and go, this is it. And then I would write there. Like it chemically had to feel right. The air had to feel right. And I've realized that I do that in my life. Like mm-hmm. in general, like I, I like to be spontaneous. I like to, if something happens at home, I like to be there. I like to go visit people. I like to go, I don't know. Like I've lived in this way. I met this man on set. Britt actually met him and was talking to him. We were on set and she introduced me to him. And he was this black gentleman who uh, is Muskogee Creek as well. And um, he grew up in a Creek community um, and Afro-Indigenous guy. And he was like, I think he's like 82. Really cool dude. And I ended up just like talking to him forever. And he was waiting on the bus and he missed the bus talking to me. And so he was going to catch the next bus. And I was like, come on, like, I'll give you a ride. So I picked him up or I I got in my car. I drove him across Tulsa, gave him a ride home. And we just talked the whole time. And, And what he wanted to talk about was the sort of stuff he couldn't explain that he saw as a native person. When he was when he was young, and he was mm. talking about going to stomp dances. I remember he was talking about being at a stomp dance, and there was a, a medicine man there that opened a bag and had a snake and pulled it out. And he was watching this man, and he was just like, like put this snake on the ground, and it would like kind of do what he wanted it to do. And he was just talking about stuff like that. He's talking about someone walking on coals and like just some of the mythology and like the things that he knew to be true when he was young and think stories that he was told. And that's all he wanted to talk about really. And it was really fascinating. He he found the right person, you know, like I was sitting Mm -hmm. there just like, (laughs) I didn't want the car ride to end. And I'm going to go pick this guy up. He went traveling and I'm going to pick him up soon and take him to lunch. We planned on doing that and just talking more. And like, I just like, most people, I imagine, would say hi and then end it. But there's something in me that goes, no, I want to like take, give this guy a ride and get to know him. you know. And then I want to go get lunch with him too. And I've just yeah. always lived in that way where it's like whatever's coming at me, I want to see if I can like see if I could be a part of it or, or if it sends me in a new direction. And I know that I live my life like that. I mean, little simple things like... You know, I have a house in Tulsa, but I also have these offices out on the land where I hunt. And I'll just randomly say, kids, let's go. Like, let's go. We're going to the country. And so we go to the land and we just hang out. And then like, I come here and I'm like, oh, this is great. And there was no reason for me to leave other than just to go be in the country. But like, and there's no schedule. Like, I don't say like, all right, on Friday, I'm going to go to the land. It's just like, if I get it that day, I'm like, bam, I'm leaving. Or yeah. I'm going to visit my parents or whatever it may be, you know. And um, 
I think that as a writer, that's been really helpful way to live. Uh, and I, and I almost have to live that way. Like I've been really itching lately to come visit you guys in, in New Mexico. And it's something that I've thought about a lot. Just like, Oh, I just want to go and visit friends like in New Mexico, you know? And, um, living like that keeps my brain in a way that I know that like I'm able to generate ideas and grab hold. Like I was saying, like grab hold of things whenever they're in my periphery, like yeah. I can grab them and use them. And it, I feel like if I was more structured, it wouldn't have that same effect. I feel like you and Ginger are like that as well. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but like, you know, the downside is there is no structure to the way I live, you know, and it works for me. My days are insane. I mean, like I have an assistant now, so like I have people to tell me what I'm doing without that yeah. total collapse. Yeah. Like, Cause I, they still tell me in the morning and then I forget about it two hours later and I'm like driving to the country to, to just go, go like <laughs> hike and then they're like, oh, you have a meeting in five minutes, a Zoom, a really important one. I'm like, fuck, I got to like go home and like tell them I'm going to be 10 minutes late. I mean, that shit happens all the time, but I have to live like that. You know, like I don't, yeah. I don't think I can do it any other way. It doesn't feel like me and I don't feel settled. Yeah, I'm sure you could. Yeah. But I think that there is a lot to be said about, um, you know, this notion of like, what is our own free will? what is this like idea of, of um, there's like two kinds of freedom, right? There's like the American freedom notion, which is like an individualistic freedom. And then there's like another form of freedom that is knowing your function in society, you know, where you're like, okay, this is what I, this is my purpose here. Let me do, like free up all of my other shit. I, this is what I do, you know? Um, and these are two, paradigm shifts in the realm of what freedom could possibly be and and one is like individualistic and the other one is like submission to a certain sort of will right right like like there's a there's a place you're supposed to be there's a hole that you fill in perfectly you know and um i think native people that like other kind of freedom, that kind of freedom where you're like, I'm submitting to the will of purpose. Like, like the universe wants me in this place, in this position. I, I can relate to that notion of freedom, but that notion of freedom can be con like misconstrued as selfish or right, individualistic. Right. But like that, um, where you're like, dude, I don't know why this guy is here right now. But I feel like it's the universe right. saying, pay attention, you know? Right. And, I think and it is. I, yeah, totally. I, I'm, I'm definitely a lot more like that where right. I'm like, I have no idea why, this, why I'm here, what's going on, you know, like shifting from one place to another. But I'm like, there's, there's magic here. <laughs> that if I'm not here right now, I don't receive it. So pay right. attention. Like pay attention to where you're at. Do you think your kids you know? are like that? Ginger? Your kids. Oh. Uh, I mean, I think all kids kind of yeah, are yeah, yeah. to a certain level, you know? And, and I, think, I think that also gets trained out of us. Right. 
in the uh, what's your individualistic responsibility? What do you want to be? You know, it's like who the fuck cares what I what I want to be? What does the world want me to be? Right, you know, right. what is the what what right. is the what is the space that I that I lock into where it's like harmony? Right. <laughs> right. You know, and but if you like, had to like, predict. Would both of your what? kids, if you had to predict though, would both of your kids be like that or would one be like that and one not? I mean, it's interesting uh, looking like I see, I see a bad moon arising. I see uh, yeah. trouble <laughs> on the way. I see that, rivers overflowing. Anyway, is that sorry. Arnie DeFranco? Yeah. Yeah. It's one of her hits. <laughs> um, I, 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 I see a lot of myself in EO, you know? Um, I thought you were going to say in you. <laughs> I see a lot of me in you. <laughs> no, in me. I thought you were saying, I see a lot of myself in you. <laughs> oh, not you. Yeah, yeah. In EO. Yeah, yeah. In my, in my oldest yeah, son, EO. Yeah. There, are, there are similarities that I'm like, I, I provide certain tolerances because some of the shit he does, like he likes to argue. And not like, not like argue like I'm, I'm fighting with you, but like, because I said so is not a valid, like, response. Like, yeah, but tell me why, you know? Like, I think my opinion is also, you know, valid. He and I are, we keep flirting with the idea of creating our own podcast called Here's the Thing. Because that's, we, we do this <laughs> to each uh, other sorry, all the time. Sorry, there's already a podcast. I believe it was um, Alex Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Oh, no way. Alec Baldwin and his podcast called Here's the Thing. Shut up. Swear. God damn it. Well, anyway, I see a lot of similarities in my son with myself, but um, my oldest boy in, in like certain ways, but then in other ways, I'm like, I, I, I can't know. Right. And they're dealing with a world that's so different from the one that I oh, was yeah. in. You know, like the influence of social media, the influence of, of YouTube and are they and on social have, media yet? No, I mean not really. They're, they, we just had to like cut them off of YouTube. Actually, just um, when we got to Montana, it, there was a, there was a moment where I was like, I don't, I don't recognize you. Right. You know, I'm like you're acting like everything else. Right. Right. You know? I've seen that and too. It, yeah, I had a funny. Like, there's a not exactly that, but like yesterday, my kids were like, um, I was making them root beer floats, and they were like, said they want to do a podcast. I was like, you guys want to do like a root beer float podcast? And they're like, yeah. And so I set up the iPad, and they sat outside, and they were eating root beer floats and just talking. And uh, you know, my son Io says, uh, who starts it off with like. Uh, welcome to our podcast. It's called Safari and Root Beer Float or something like that. And um, they just like had this conversation. And what's great is they think that like I'm posting it to the world, but I'm not, you know, like <laughs> I'm putting it on like a hidden Instagram and like, <laughs> but they think it's out there, you know, like th this podcast is out there. And it's so funny just to hear them try to act like they're doing a podcast. Yeah. Yeah, well, EO has got his own YouTube channel, you know, and he makes movies and stuff like that. So that's like his closest thing to social media. But what we and he was he's usually really good about like um, self-regulating, right? You know his his thing. But man, the machine 
is smart. Like, like the, the way it draws attention away from what you were there doing in the first right. place to like the algorithmic hole it, it wants to place you in. It's like hard not to go, you know, spelunking into those, into those caves, you know? I mean, I get and, off on like a Bigfoot thing or something like that. And I'll watch that for hours. Like, totally. Totally. Well, it keeps generating the same thing. And that's, that's what's like... And you think you're discovering it, but it's actually discovering you. you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like, yeah, I'm getting to know you. P please play more. And, and what I was seeing was, I was like, I was like where, is, where is authenticity? You know? I'm like, what, what does authenticity look like to a ch a, an 11-year-old uh, bombarded with, with YouTube information that's algorithmic. So whatever it is you click, you, you get more of, and it's like more of the same thing. So it reinforces this idea that everything out there is that thing, you know? I don't know. I, it, it, we, we were like, we're cutting you off. And, uh, oh, did he not tragic? like suffer, yeah. suffer the, the withdrawal, you know? But then we were finally like, okay, you can have your iPad back, but for like one hour a day. And he was like, I don't, I don't want it. Oh, wow. I don't, I, I don't want it for, I don't want it for one hour, you know? Uh, oh, I just accidentally raised that? my How hand. How does that happen? Your turn. How did you do that? <laughs> AI. I don't know. AI. That's so weird. Well, if you had, if you had like a human hand rather than that, uh, Fucking meat hook you threw up there. <laughs> uh, hold on. Maybe if I lower my hand. Oh, I'm touching her screen like it's an iPad. You see uh, how ignorant I am? Yeah. yeah. Ignorant. There it goes. <clears throat> that was weird. I've never seen that. AI. You try it now. Yeah. Yes, Sterling. <laughs> Uh, I must not have the up. I must not have the update yet. Yeah, maybe not. Anyway, like I, I, I think I think it's in both of them. Like I, I think Seisha is a lot more like Ginger. Yeah. I think Eo is a lot more like me, but the mix isn't like one hundred percent one and the other. You see these kind of like crossovers in 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 both of them. Um, yeah, Seisha definitely has a lot of Ginger's kind of like kindness you know and sensitivity to like the the collective well-being right where maybe i'm a little bit more ruthless and so is my son see ginger and i are a lot alike in a lot of ways too i think like i have like care for the collective well-being a lot and <clears throat> i tell you like show running was a crazy job is a crazy job um it's like you're involved in everything every decision from the business side to the creative side. And you have to kind of like have your hand in both and have a team around you that knows everything about both. Um, and it's just, I mean, I feel like I haven't not worked for three years because even when I wasn't writing or shooting, I was promoting or doing something or getting ready for the next season or whatever. And so that was crazy like to, to be that job is just insane. And then you throw in like, you know, the added pressure of like, oh, also 
this is one of the first of its kind. Mm-hmm. And this represents all of your people. Like, yeah. like I mean, that's cra- it's just a crazy weight. Even if it's like self-inflicted, it's just yeah. a crazy thing to have there. Just kind of always like, oh, yeah, don't fuck this up. You know, um, it was pretty intense. And I can't imagine that like the showrunner for like CSI has the same <laughs> amount of pressure. Like, I can't imagine, you know, um, it's got to be a whole different job basically you're representing all crime scene investigating units right (laughs) you're gonna piss off the whole forensics community yeah yeah and they're like on twitter hard yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i don't know man i don't know what other job is like that um i really look forward to doing other shows i really look forward i mean like people i don't think what people understand about reservation dogs is like it's not a crime show. There's not like a built-in plot. It's a world. Like I created a world. And in that world, just like our world, anything could happen. Yeah. And that's great, but it's also daunting because you can go anywhere. And you still have to make it good and it has to work within the story of the bigger picture and all of that. Um, so you're pulling, like I was pulling so much from my life. I mean, like every character in every 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 episode has some of my life in it and it's not like uh a crime show where like you have this built-in plot that you're always moving towards you know Mm -hmm. it can literally go anywhere and sometimes it did i mean we had so many crazy episodes you know that didn't we we had a uh we always joke about this episode because it literally was in every season at some point and it was a yard sale episode and, you know, it was very much going to be like the neighborhood. And it was just going to be a, a neighborhood-wide, on-the-res uh, yard sale. And all the characters are going to be in it and all of this, you know. And there's that. And we also paired that with a Little People episode. So, like, yeah. in the background of this episode was going to be, um, like these like, these shots of, like, a little like like a pair of keys on a table and you just see like this little hand come out and like grab grab these giant keys and like drag it off and like and then like you see that the little people have a place inside the wall and they have a mountain of keys like in their lair and just a mountain of people's keys and they're like having a meeting and they're talking about like who they're going to hit next and what they're going to do, you know, and it's like, <laughs> like a job and all of the little people, I wanted them to dress like, um, punk, like kind of punk rockers from the eighties. Wait, hold on. Did this make it into the season? No, 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 spoiler? no, no, it didn't, it didn't okay. make it. It tried, it tried to be there for three seasons and we had this episode every time and then every time it would fall, it would, uh-huh. it would get taken out. It just didn't work. And, um, because sometimes you can have a great idea for an episode, but if it doesn't have the core elements of what the story is, I don't know why I was doing that hand movement, but <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know why. It was, if it doesn't have the core, <laughs> if it doesn't have the core elements, um, no, like if it doesn't have like that through line. <laughs> like a through line. So, yeah, it. like a, if it doesn't have the through line that goes through, it's not going to work. So it gets thrown out. 
I mean, you can't sh you can't shove something like that into somebody's yeah, face. Yeah, you can't just you know? like, force that thing. Like it's gotta, you know, you know, it's gotta it's gotta come direct, or it doesn't come at all. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Um, but like that would have been a great episode. So the the little people were all dressed like punk rockers from the eighties, like like leather jackets with like like. <laughs> Like, like the warriors? Yeah, like, like the warriors, the but like more leather and like green hair and shit and like gothy. You, oh, and you, like bad guys on old Jackie Chan movies. Exactly. Like Rumble in the Bronx. Or like uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle bad guy. You know, whoever they run into in an alley or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like that's <laughs> what the little people were going to be. And um, they just had this operation where they were like stealing keys and things that were shiny, you know? Um, and so while that's playing out in the background, you're having like Willie Jack's dad can't find his keys the whole episode or like, you know, someone's yeah. jewelry was stolen from the yard sale or whatever. And then also we had a, a episode that was all from the point of view of a dog in huh. the neighborhood. Um, and it was going to be oh, that. That's a cool idea. Yeah, it was going to be about this res dog and like just kind of took you through the whole thing. I heard that another show had an episode from a dog's point of view, but it was different. Um, but ours was going I'm to be like this handoff. I'm sure their show wasn't called Reservation Dog. No, for so. sure. For sure. <laughs> I still love when um, they were announcing Critics' Choice nominees like second season when Snoop Dogg did the thing and he said uh, reservation dogs and he said it just like <laughs> Snoop would and no one's ever said reservation dogs cooler than Snoop because <laughs> he put that he put that round dog, ed, that, that round that edge on it yeah yeah, yeah. it was put round the dog in yeah. It. <laughs> yeah that reservation dogs it was beautiful I couldn't I couldn't pick a better person to say reservation dogs um, yeah, but like, yeah, it just didn't work. You know, it was, uh, it just in the end didn't work. And like part of the job, part of my job is to be really ruthless. And there's just so many times in the writer's room where I would come in and say, all right, so we have this great idea. Always. We have the great idea. <laughs> Always. We have the great idea. <laughs> and, um, but I would say, well, what is this episode without that idea? Yeah. And everyone's like, Oh, like, oh. And like by season three, everyone's like, oh, don't say it. Don't fucking say it. And then by season three, people would just say it for me. Like, uh -huh. I'd be like, all right, guys. Well, and they'd be like, what is this idea without that idea? And I'd be like, what is this episode without, I without that idea? And it's like, yeah. So like, what is it boiled down to? It's core elements. And then once we would try to boil that down to the core elements for that episode, it wouldn't work. And so we'd have to throw right. it out, you know? And then you usually come with a better idea that fits those core elements better, you know? And that's sort of the process of the writer's room the whole time. But man, like all of those writers will tell you, like there are painful days where you're just like, I, I don't know. I mean, like I, every season I had an edible panic attack uh, at night. This usually had, this happened in season two and season three both. Edible panic attack at night, couldn't go to sleep because I couldn't figure out the element of this episode that it needed to send it over into the next level where it's good. Mm. And this happened both seasons late at night. It was like 1am and I could not go to sleep and it was just going through my head. I was having a panic attack and I had a notebook by my bed and then all of a sudden it hit me and I like 
I'm about to go to sleep, but it hits me. I pull the notebook out and I write these notes down and that is it. That works. And so that's happened twice. Um, and these aren't just like episodic, like singularly episodic ideas. These are thrust of the season ideas, like big ideas for the season, like where this is going, right. what needs to happen. Does this character need to be cut out that we've introduced, you know, things like that. Um, and I don't know, something happened in my late night edible delirium where I was like mm. about to have a panic attack because I was thinking about the Anunnaki too much and uh, <laughs> just ended up coming up with the idea that I needed, you know? So is that how, is that, was that these edible panic attacks, did right. these have anything to do with the... Um, I almost took one uh, just so I could have an edible yeah, panic attack yeah, yeah. on this podcast. But I'm, I'm wondering, like, these... Um, pivotal moments of of anxiety and then clarity is did that is that kind of how uh you understood that this was the final season like yeah. did some of those edible panic attacks actually like anchor the the direction of the trajectory yeah. of it concluding yeah for sure i mean look like i mean i don't want to reduce it down to an edible no. panic attack no, no, of no, course no, but it was but. part of it <laughs> But like, like I was saying though, like, it's such a, it's a show about a transitional time in some characters' lives and, and it's a coming of age and at some point you come of age and at some point the transition is over and you move into what your future is. And that's where I found these characters. It was like they were naturally coming of age, completing something that had been started in season one. And not only that, but also giving what they've learned in the first two seasons to other people that needed it in their community. And so that was all happening and it just felt like that's it, man. Like, like if we do another season, this could like go off the rails and, and, and yeah. be, be like, we're trying to like imitate ourselves. And I didn't want that to happen. Did you, how early in the writing of this or the conceptualizing of this story, did you have its conclusion in mind? Probably, probably halfway through the writer's room, I started thinking of the end and it being the end. And, you know, in the nature of kind of coming into the writer's room, this idea of these characters giving the other, other characters these things that they've learned in not such an earnest way, but like in, in the cinematic universe of Reservation Dogs, sharing what they've learned, that came early. Like that was what mm. this season was gonna be about from the beginning. And I think that naturally led us to this moment halfway through the writer's room where it was like, oh, this could be the end. I could have also seen the end be season two at the beach, but it still felt like there was a lot more to say. And also this idea of like, it started off with these four characters, but it expanded into this world and this community. And there was no closure at all with that community. And yeah. I think the act of what they did for Daniel at the beach needed to be brought home because it's not about Daniel at that point. It's about what these characters learn from letting go and honoring their friend and that is knowledge that I think in the, like, the basic sense of the term in native culture is what we do. 
Mm -hmm. We pass on knowledge. And I mean, human beings do that, but like we have, we have a very um, regimented, like that's what you're supposed to do in your life. Like you're supposed to pass this on. And um, that's what I think the characters needed to do. Um, well, yeah. and that's that's so different from the like American Western coming of age story, right? Where it's like totally. I mean, like like not even Western, but Western for sure, but American in general, like this yeah. individualism, right? It's about like coming into a town alone, leaving that town alone, you know, or like it's about pulling yourself up from your circumstances, going out on your own, and learning how to make your own way, you know. Whereas I think this story is told the, the exact opposite, where it's you're kind of starting alone, and through what you do with your people that you're alone with, your friends, learning what it means to be a part of something bigger, and then, mm. and then bringing that back home. And trying to also incorporate that into the bigger, wider community, you know, which is like totally not American classic storytelling, you know. Totally, totally. There, it does remind me a little bit of, uh, as far as like classic, classic, Titanic, Titanic, Titanic. Yeah, yeah classic. Yeah. I mean, I, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I pretty much, I pretty much yeah. traced <laughs> I Titanic. Gonna, I was gonna say Saving Private Ryan, but yeah, Titanic. <laughs> Castaway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you start alone. Yeah, <laughs> then you get Wilson, and then you lose Wilson, and, and then, then you come home. And then your wife is with Wilson. someone else. Yeah, your wife married your best Wilson in everybody else. Right, and Wilson's fucking gone, right. dude. Yeah, Wilson's <laughs> fucking out of here. Uh, no, I was thinking um, uh, as far as archetypes go, the. Uh, Oh, is it the Iliad? Oh yeah. Like, you know, this this voyage home after right. after the I guess that's the Odyssey, huh? The Iliad was the battle in Troy. I mean the Odyssey. To be honest, I've not read either, so you could throw out any and I'd be like, Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean my yeah, yeah. my connection to Odysseus. my connection to Odysseus. the Odyssey my connection to the Odyssey is Oh Brother Where Art Thou? <laughs> like yeah. loosely based on the Odyssey. Um <laughs> But yeah, Odysseus's like story of trying to get home was like longer than his voyage to go to Troy and have this battle. Like him trying to come home yeah. took forever. That reminds because me of he, this, this story. Richard Ray Whitman, you know, who's in the show, who's in, been in my films. Uh, one time, so there used to be this um, Native award show in L.A. and. Um, it was started by great man, great people, um, but it was kind of like I went, and I remember it was just a lot of like Hollywood natives, um, like just acting somehow, some way, mm. and yeah. giving each other awards, you know. And it was it was a great time as far as like you know I got to see Charlie Hill, he hosted it, that was amazing. Oh, that's you know, cool. But then you have like. Um, other people that like, you know, there was a, there was one guy with a headdress down to his ankles, and every time one of his friends would win or get nominated, he would just war cry as loud as he could like at this table next to me, and I was like, wow. 
And um, <laughs> it was just a lot of people trying to be Hollywood, and it was really strange. Um, and I was a young independent filmmaker from Oklahoma. I got, an, I got an award, and I went. And I remember I was like, I think I was outside having a cigarette or something, whatever they called my name or something. It was crazy. But um, I remember I, I called, Richard Roy Whitman called me while I was there, and I answered the phone. I was talking to him. And uh, he's like, hey, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm at the First Americans in the Arts Awards. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, the theme this year is the long walk to Hollywood. That's what the theme was for the awards show. Wow. And uh, Richard goes, without missing a beat, he's like, oh, yeah. He goes, well, the walk home's a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> Cracks me up. Holy shit. If that is not the truth, right? Right, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, but I, this is okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm bringing, I'm like picking up what you're putting down and, and thinking about this in, in the context of like a lot of the work that I do is, is trying to share a story that is an indigenous story that isn't one of, um, seizing the day and taking everything Carpe for diem. yourself. Carpe diem. Yeah. It's, it's. It's something that's actually more profound and something that I think this country in particular really suffers from is um, belonging, you know? Like, what does it mean to belong to a place, to a community? And this is like wrapping it back all the way to like our first conversation or earlier today about these two different kinds of freedom right there's this american rugged individualistic like right. i get to choose my own way i get to make these choices and then the other one is this other kind of like atmospheric thing that we don't even like to fuck with because it threatens this individualistic idea of freedom but it's like who do you belong to like right. how, what do you that's really to? interesting like because that you know i don't know that it's so interesting because i mean that is how like American storytelling was born. Like it, it was told by people that didn't have a home and like didn't belong anywhere. And yeah. it did encourage this from Westerns, from dime store Westerns to all the way through Hollywood. It did encourage this like individualism, you know, and, 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 and that's in all of the storytelling. Um, to totally. That, yeah. That's pretty interesting. And it's literally it's created by people that, that, left their home to come to a new place yeah and, and the, the the thing that gets me is like the depth of that sorrow of not belonging right it, instead of them dealing with it they impose it on everybody else oh, yeah you know and it's like dude you're telling me fucking get over it right. you fucking get right. over it you know right. like figure out what it means to belong to a place and quit reinforcing this like rugged individualistic fucking lonely right. you know trek i'm right. like it's sad you know it's fucking sad right. like it's a the story doesn't end well well because that story after they that the after the movie's over you know what happens to that person like nothing good happens you know like like I, you know like i've been reading this i'm adapting a um Jim Thorpe book, a new Jim Thorpe book about his life. And it's crazy because he was thrust into a place where he was pulled and forced into being 
more of this like person without a home and an indiv- and this like individual who was the greatest athlete in the world. Um, and you know, I get the sense that all he really wanted to do was go back home to Sac and Fox nation and fish, you know, and hunt squirrels and, and like he that's was, yeah, literally up all of those skills just to make that long walk. Home. Right, 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 <laughs> right. And it's He's cra- like, what do what do I got a hurdle? What do I got to so, run? What's so then? crazy about Jim at the end of his life? It's like his life was always just like chaotic. Stuff was always kind of collapsing around him. Always a good dude though. Like I mean, literally like helped. Um, start this organization that fought for natives to be cast as native background in Westerns. Mm-hmm. Um, so like he did that part of his life cause he was also acting. Um, he, uh, but at the end of his life, he dies of a heart attack and his wife, this white woman, uh, takes his, like, she's trying to like, kind of like sell sell him his body to the highest bidder, like, do you want to have a funeral in Oklahoma City, in Tulsa, here, there? Like, where are we going to do it? Da da da. How much are we spending, you know? And he wanted to be back home, obviously, with his people. And so they did, they allowed him to go home, and they were having a three day sort of ceremony for him. And in the middle of this, she shows up with like marshals, takes the body in the middle of this, his funeral ceremony takes the body, takes his body. I think it took a month after that or something, took his body and then went and was bidding it out. And that's how this community, these two towns in Pennsylvania came together around this death, got his body, buried it there and turned the two towns into one town that's called Thorpe, Pennsylvania. And that's where his body is right now to this day. It's fucking crazy, man. And they just like, it was like the highest bidder, you know? And like, they made a town about it. He, he, had, he hadn't even, you know, he went to Carlisle, but he had never stepped foot in this town where his body is um, right now. It's crazy. And so you can go there. It's right off the highway. His, his grave, and there's a memorial, big memorial there. And people go and take photos and whatever. And just this Oklahoma native guy just like buried there, like... Uh, it's fucking nuts. I hope you don't get buried in, you know, uh, Montgomery, Alabama, or something. You know? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm gonna get. I'm, 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 I'm gonna go Norsk style. It, right at my death, I won't be Indian anymore. I'll be full Norwegian. Right. Uh, You're gonna go out on a boat, Alabama. out on a boat or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just through shooting an arrow. So I'm the only reason I'm. Teaching my kids how to shoot arrows is right. just to fucking nail that. So I'm reading this book called The Wager, mm. and it's by David Gran, and he is it's his new book, and he's the guy that wrote Killers of the Flower Moon, and he was like one of my favorite writers before he wrote that book. Like I, he's got a book called um, The Devil and Sherlock Holmes that is about. Um, it's 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 a, a collection of all his stories that he, he writes one story for the New Yorker a year, and it's a collection of a lot of his uh, New Yorker stories, and it's amazing. And then he's got another book called The Lost City of Z that's pretty great, and it was made into a movie. But it's about all of these explorers, and it focuses on this one guy, Pierce or something like that, who uh, explored the Amazon to find the lost city of gold. And I think this guy was like 1800s early 1900s i can't remember 
I'm, f- I'm familiar with the story, yeah, not so, the book, but the story. Yeah, of so the story of him going down, they never find his body. Like, he just disappears, right? Uh, the great part about the book is half of the book is David Gran, the author, deciding to go look for the lost city of gold. And, you know, <laughs> he's just like this kind of, you know, this New Yorker guy that you would never imagine even hiking, much less like searching the Amazon for the lost city of gold. And he literally goes to the local like REI, I think in, in Manhattan. And he goes to the REI and just talks to one of the workers and is like, Hey, uh, I'm about to go spend like whatever a (laughs) month in the Amazon. Uh, what do I need? And he's like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, what do I need to get? And so this guy like loaded him up with all of the camping gear that he would need to go from REI to go on this trek to the Amazon. And the beautiful thing about the end of that book is like, he's a little frustrated, I think, because he like, there's, he's not finding the city of gold (laughs) in one month. And he's like, but I looked around and all of a sudden, all of these things became apparent to me. Like I saw the irrigation systems of the natives. I saw this amazing artwork. I saw all of these things that were like conducted with, with sustainability with the earth. And I saw all that they had, and it's covered in like, in, in, you know, grass, jungle. jungle now. And he's like, but I saw this, and I'm like sitting there and like taking in this like awe inspiring thing that I'm in the middle of. And I'm like, I, this is the city of gold. Like, it is the city of riches. Like, yeah. like, it doesn't mean the same thing that it's like, like gold is what they were looking for, but like, this is a really rich civilization. And so that's sort of the point at the end of the book that he makes. It's really interesting. But all that to say, the wager is amazing. It's about a ship called the wager. And it's like a British naval ship in like the, um, I think the 1700s. And they're on this voyage to go steal some gold. Um, from some the Spanish down in Cape Horn. And it's a really treacherous trek. And it just like, they tell the story of what happened. And so what happens is like, they, they a group gets washed up on a boat and people are like, what happened? And like, oh man, bad seas. Like a lot of us died. And then another little boat shows up somewhere else and they're like, these fuckers mutinied and like fucking like all cannibalism stories and all that shit. So you're kind of learning what happened in the book from their accounts and their journals and stuff. Um, But all that to say, why I brought this up is there's all these sayings that I didn't realize. Mm -hmm. These, all these sayings that I didn't realize came from sailors. Um, Like uh, under the weather. Under the weather was when like a typhus bacteria infection would break out. Everyone would get sick and they would put them literally under the weather in the bottom deck to, to keep them away from the other population and whatever. Um, piping hot. What was it? Piping hot was also one. There was like a few others, like um, some that I thought like. I know, I know telltale sign. Oh yeah. What's that? Uh, telltales are these little strings that are on the sail to see whether or not you're collecting wind properly. And they all, they all line up. They're called telltales. There's obviously like three sheets to the wind, you know, one of your she- she- one of your mass break or whatever. And you start like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I was going to try to find them, but I'm not going to, it's a good book. You should read it. 
I don't know how to read. Why do you keep doing Dude, this? Dude, it would be insane to be on a fucking boat back then. I mean, like, they didn't know where typhus came from. Like, they didn't know anything. They didn't know anything. This, they were just dying. This is, this is what I'm saying. Like, the way that they talk about, the way that Westerners talk about, like, meeting natives when they came ashore and how they were like, they considered us gods. Look at how they. You know, they gave us all of their, they took care of us, did their food, did, right. you know, did all of this stuff. It's like, yeah, we're hardwired to help people suffering. Like, I'm sorry, but your fucking heroes got here sick and tired. Do not confuse that with, like, assumed deification. You were fucking gross. Like, you were gross. We're, we felt sorry for like, you. Could like, you imagine oh. that type of smell? Like, months Let's. and months on a ship? <laughs> I mean, I've sp I spent uh, you know what a couple years like? in a locker room, and that's awful. It would smell exactly like Darth Vader's face at the end of the first <laughs> movies when when he was like, "Let me see you," yeah. and they pulled the mask yeah. off. That's what those shit right, smelled like. Right. Was fucking Darth Vader's face Just when balls. the mask comes up. It's like an old band aid. Right, right. <laughs> I've Cold, never wet, I've, puffy. I've, Wrinkly? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's why his skin was like that, because it was wet all the time, I bet. I mean, you know it stunk when that mask came off. So you don't read? Uh, I used to. I, I do enjoy reading. Um, I have a hard time retaining information I do too. that I read. I do too. So I, I mean, it's literally I, I, in one fucking ear and out the other if I read. Like I, I, I spend half the time trying to figure out what these fucking symbols mean and their letters. You know, <laughs> like, especially once you start cramming them into those like paragraph blocks, like I have a hard time seeing and sounding out each word because I'm like, what's this shape? You know, like, right. what's the shape this paragraph's <laughs> right. making? It fuck, it, it gets weird in my head. Yeah. So I'm, I, I eat books in audio format. I'm like, please tell me it's an audiobook because I'll listen Can to you it. In you, the Wager is definitely an audiobook. Can you retain information if it's an audiobook? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the best way I retain information. Um, yeah, when I was in school, I, I was like the kid who was always talking, always raising his hand, always like bantering with the, with the lecturer because I was like, I'm not going to do the reading. Right. I, I can't retain it. Let me... Let me ask you everything I don't know and play the devil's advocate in this scenario because you're the expert and I, these are the questions that are popping up in my head, right. you know? Well, we're going to figure out a way to, to wrap. Ginger would love some emotional gems, uh, some, some, in, some uh, knowledge from the shores you've reached looking back, a way to come home with it with what you've experienced? How do you bring that home? How do you bring your show running uh, uh, knowledge, the things that you've learned, um, things that you would like to do better, things that you think went really well, things that you think were total failures and would love for somebody to avoid those pitfalls? Anything in that sense that you could bring home yeah. for future listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I talked a little bit about this, I think, last time. But, you know, the, the crazy pressure of the show being popular and all of that, like, I wasn't ready for that, you know? Um, 
And I was more ready for it than someone say like 21 and that happens to them. So I was like ready in a sense, but, um, I mean, I, you know, um, I'll tell you like season two, I was drinking a lot hmm. to not only like cope with the pressure, it was really like to turn off my brain at the end of the day. And I would get home and I started just like, all right, I'm gonna have a cigar and a whiskey. Well, then I'd like next day be like, wow, I had more than one whiskey, you know? And I was really just kind of shutting myself off. And it was the only way that I could figure out how to quickly cut the noise off that was happening because it was just constant. Like I'm constantly thinking about this. I'm constantly thinking of ideas. The day is playing out in my head. And I definitely just used it as this crutch to like go to sleep, literally. And, um, and then that continued after season two. And I, when I was approaching season three, we were in the writer's room. I was like not feeling well. Like I was just like, you know, I just wasn't taking care of myself. And I was feeling like I had, it was just like everything hurt. And I, 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 and it was from mental stuff, but it was like, it was affecting my whole being and body and everything. And I just knew something, I had to change something. And so in the writer's room, I just stopped drinking. And it was not hard to do that. I just had to adjust to like not being able to shut off um, with drinking. And I didn't drink the whole time. I decided not to drink the whole time during production. And I was like, I remember I hurt my back, which was totally from stress, right before we were shooting. And we were location scouting. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this season. Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it because I'm in such pain. I was like having trouble getting out of the car. I was having trouble sitting in a restaurant. I remember we were eating a, at a restaurant and I was just like, my whole back was hurting. And like, um, I, I couldn't get comfortable and it was just like in such pain. And so I got out. I remember like after that lunch walking and I stepped off a curb and just this popping rip went up my back and it actually felt better right after that immediately after <laughs> but it hurt again later but i'd quit drinking and i was just like but as soon as production started uh, i think it was a mix of that and not drinking uh everything got better and i just was able to in a healthy way process everything that was happening and it was just such a healthier way of doing the show you know it was like a reset that i needed i've had you know i have drinks at dinner or whatever since then but like uh it, it was just like all of a sudden there was a really unhealthy relationship with drinking and it was like medicine and i needed to reset myself from that and everything got better after that and um I, I know now that I can't do that. I mean, I was like, just kind of careless. Like, and I know that I can't do that when doing something that big and something with that much pressure. 
And uh, I won't ever do that again because it was like really affecting me hardcore. So you would recommend that to, to future? I would recommend them drinking till they go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> P- uh, push it off. Don't actually deal with your problems. Yeah, exactly. But I think uh, like also like... Do the, that until you hurt your back. Right. And then you'll figure it out. But I think like some of the bigger things though is kind of like what we're talking about. That the industry that I'm in really promotes individualism. Mm-hmm. And going at it alone and stepping on people and trying to make it for yourself. And the way that we made Reservation Dogs wasn't like that. Like It was all about bringing people in, giving people opportunities. And I'm really proud of that. And that is the crowning achievement to me of Reservation Dogs. Just me knowing and showing that that's how we can make a TV show. Um, I've had so many crew people, so many people tell me that the experience changed their life. Uh, people that had never worked on a show before. I've had people that have worked on many shows tell me that it was the best show they ever worked on. There's a guy who is like this legend who's worked on everything like back to the future, Halloween, like everything. Uh, Steve, he's actually plays. He plays this cowboy in uh, season two that talks to uh, um, Willie Jack about doing uh, acid and mushrooms. Oh, one of my favorite cameo characters to take place. And, and that guy uh, is the gaffer. And at the last minute, the guy that I cast for it, has something happened with his wife and he couldn't come. And so I just cast Steve and it's the first time he's ever acted. And he, he nailed it, right? But like that guy's oh, so yeah. funny because like, he's been in he's worked on everything. And funny enough, we shot Stinjati, Punk and Lusty's uh, apartment at this apartment in Old Mulgee, Oklahoma, season one. And Steve came to me and he said, I was born in this apartment complex. Like that, he's like, this is when I, where I lived when I was born. And um, so this guy's from Oklahoma, was retired, decided to come out of retirement to work on Reservation Dogs, and was just like, pulled me aside a lot, was just like, this is the best show I've ever worked on, like all these years, like it took me this long to, to and he was like, and I knew that we could do something like that, you know, and, this, and it finally happened, and he's like, it's the best show I ever worked on. I mean, literally this guy, I was playing Boys of Summer, the Don Henley song. I always, mm-hmm. have a, I always have a little speaker that I play songs on on set. And he comes up to me and he's grooving next to me to Boys of Summer. And he's like, yeah, that was a good music video to work on. I was like, what? You worked <laughs> on the music video? He's like, yeah. <laughs> and, um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that. Like, I, I, I know for myself that it can be done this way. And I want to take that into my life and continue what I did on Reservation Dogs. I mean, that's literally why I was talking about having a place here where artists can come and talk because I've seen the power that doing something as a community effort, I've seen what it does. I mean, it's inspired so many people. There's so many people right now that are making their own stuff and like doing their thing. And I saw the power of that. And on such a grand scale, I didn't think it was possible. 
you know, I didn't think it was possible to have everyone. Like I told them this season at the end, I said, um, you know, we have this word called fakumgi. And it means like, it was used in battle and things like that. And our hearts are beating together. And it mm. means like we're, on, we're so on the same page that our hearts are in sync and they're beating at the same time together. And that's why we're going to be victorious, you know. And I told them like that's what we achieved on this set was like all of our hearts were beating together. And to see it happen on such a grand scale, like I'm inspired because I know it can happen. No one can tell me different because I've seen it happen with 200 strangers coming together, some from yeah. LA, some from Oklahoma, some from Louisiana, some from Atlanta coming together and telling this story. And every one of them, whether they were native or non-native or whatever, came out of that experience taught knowing that that was like, caring and putting their own heart and blood and and really believing in what we were doing and that's what i will take out of that experience and i will try to recreate that every time i do something no matter what it is yeah it, that shifts the balance of power with uh production uh the the houses you know all of the production houses and uh um community that develops on set like in place you know um this idea of, you know, that we had kind of like talked about in this overarching theme of dealing with your trauma, coming from this, from, from one place, finding clarity in that, but that not being the end of the voyage, but also the, the return, you right. know, um, choosing to work in Oklahoma is like to, to start in right. that place, you know, to start like what we need is here. The most important parts of this story exist here. Right. Why would we take it anywhere else when we've created an entire industry that's mobile and flexible? Right. And yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's something that reoccurs often in a lot of different things. So seeing, it's, it's like you need proof of concept in order to explore and expound upon that, um, that methodology. So... I think that's really awesome that you had done that. And um, I just want to thank you, you know, for, for, I love being. these, I love these conversations. These, um, it's always nice to catch yeah. up in this weird way with your friend. Well, I'm excited. I mean, I, you know, the, the, the show is going to, is going to August come 2nd. online. August, August 2nd, 2nd, coming out. It's coming out August 2nd. I know we're going to push hard to get this out there. Luckily, we've created um, something that's going to be really easy to edit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's not much, not much editing involved here. I, I've tried you know, really hard not to say um and ah uh, all the time. You could just do a master uh, cut of like all of our <laughs> hand gestures. I think, are they dancing? What does that mean? Trumbo. Yeah, what are the... Well, I quit drinking yesterday I left my job down at the pay and say I ain't gonna let them have my day Well, I'm too young to be this way I married Georgia back in May Got two and one more on the way Figure I'll give myself a break 
I don't care what her daddy say Twenty-five and wasting time Ain't never been outside of this county line Hey, I'm gonna be here till I die I'll meet you on that by and by Meet you on that by and by. 